If you're able, would you remain standing? And for our scripture reading this morning, we're going to turn to 1 John chapter 5, the fifth chapter of the short general epistle of John. We're going to read verses 14 through 17. This is the next passage in our series. We're preaching through the book of John, and these verses are the ones that are assigned for today. So 1 John chapter 5, starting at verse 14. This is the word of our Lord. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. This is the word of our Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things concerning you and our Savior from this passage. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. God wants His people to be humbly confident in the faith because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. God wants us to be confident in Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God wants you to be confident in what Jesus has done for you. John is writing this epistle to the church in Ephesus. So he's writing to the Ephesians to encourage them to stand in their faith against false teachers who denied who Christ is. For John, the Christian, the one who believes in the whole Christ of the Bible, the one who believes that the life that Christ lived, he lived for him. The death he died that was in his place. And that Christ rose from the dead so that he could have life. That one should have confidence in their faith. We see that in verse 13 of the passage right above what we read. That John is writing this book so that you may know that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote the gospel so that you may believe. Now this epistle is a follow-up on the gospel saying, I'm writing to you so that you know what true faith is, so that you can judge your faith and know that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And four times in this short letter, John states that the believer is confident in Christ. A characteristic of the true believer that he is confident in the gospel, that he is confident in his Savior. And this morning, we will briefly reveal the first three reasons for the believer to have confidence in Christ, because we have looked at those passages before. And then we'll spend a little more time on the fourth reason for confidence that is found in verses 14 through 17 of chapter 5. So the first reason John teaches us that we are to have confidence in Christ is that we will be received by Christ at His coming if we abide in Him. In chapter 2, verse 28, the apostle says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 
those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who abide in Him, who, those who believe in Him now, will stand before Him in His return. To abide is to remain, is to dwell, is to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ, as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, that we as believers in Jesus Christ have been rooted and grounded in His love, and we can be confident in that. Old Testament prophets ask often, who shall stand at the day of the coming of the Lord? For example, Malachi in chapter 3 verse 2 asks, who can endure the day of His coming, and who can stand when He appears? Joel in chapter 2, verse 11, asks, says, The Lord gives voice before His army, for His camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes His word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, have a simple answer. Who can endure the day of the Lord? Those who trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you abide in Jesus Christ, you endure and you look forward to the coming of the Lord because they will hear, those that trust in the Lord, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will hear from the mouth of their Savior, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's the first confidence that John gives us in this book. The second one, in chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, we can be confident that our sins have been forgiven. He says in verse 19 of chapter 3, And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before Him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. Here, John says, if you're a true believer, not even your heart can condemn you because Christ has declared you. God in Christ has declared you to be not guilty. Your sins have been forgiven. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as taught in the Scriptures, you can be confident that all your sins have been forgiven. In chapter 1, verse 9 says that Christ is faithful and just. He'll forgive our sins. God does not hold your sins against you. They have all been declared to be Christ's. And He paid for them on the cross. You don't have to pay for any of your sins, believer. They all have been paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in, in him, as far as the east is from the west, so that so far has he removed our transgressions from us. No more shall every man teach his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall, shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I'll remember no more. That's true of you, believer. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Who can bring a charge against you? It is Christ who justifies. Who can accuse you before the Father? It is Christ who stands before you and pleads for your soul. And because all your sins have been forgiven, there's nothing that can separate you from your Father in heaven. God loves you with the same love that He loves His Son. 
You know the darkness of your heart. You know the things you've done against God. And yet, when God looks at you, He loves you with the same infinite love that He loves His Son. And that never changes. The love of God for you does not increase and does not decrease. You cannot earn the love of God. It's already yours. And it's infinite. It does not change even when you have a really bad day. It doesn't, it doesn't change even when you fight with your spouse. You know, that's how usually what we seem to call preparation for worship is fighting in the minivan all the way to church. That seems to be how... The, even in those times, the love of God for you doesn't change. It doesn't change when you fail as a parent. It doesn't change when you don't read your Bible and don't pray. It doesn't change even when at those times that you're unfaithful to Him. Brothers and sisters, if your faith is real, you can be confident that your sins are forgiven. Remember that episode of the paralytic that's brought to Jesus by his friends? And it's crowded in the room, much like this, and they can't get through, so they go up on the roof as a thatched roof, so they remove the pieces of the roof and they lower the paralytic into the room. Remember what Jesus says? Your, your sins are forgiven. And then he turns around. Do you think it's easier to forgive the sins or to make him walk? Make him walk is you know, child's play. Get up and walk. And the guy gets up and walk. But more important than that, he says, your sins are forgiven. Church of Jesus Christ, Jesus says that to you today. Your sins are forgiven. And you can be confident of that. They do not stand between you and your God. The third confidence that uh, this little epistle gives us is in chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. The believer will be acquitted in the last judgment. Look at verses 17 through 19. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfectly fear casts out Sorry, perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. The believer will be acquitted at the last judgment. That's similar to confidence number one. God will pronounce the final verdict on us at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't understand that, but earthly courts can only declare you not guilty. They can't declare you innocent. They only can declare you not guilty, which is different than being innocent. Christ, who is the ultimate judge, will declare all His people innocent. That will be a final declaration of a current reality. You are already innocent in the sight of God. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ stand innocent of their sin, but not just innocent of sin, also positively righteous. Because when the Father looks at you, He sees the Son. You understand that? That when the Father looks at your face, He sees Jesus Christ who was marred for you. And because of that, we don't have to fear the final judgment. That's what John means by saying that, fear, that love casts out fear. We don't have to fear the final judgment. Because... Christ has redeemed us. And because of that, we can pray, Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Wouldn't that be wonderful if Christ came back today? 
All suffering be done. All sinning be done. All things that cause us to have a poor relationship with God being done because He came today. And we don't have to stand there fearful because our sins have been forgiven. A life lived in fear tends to not be fruitful. But not fearing the future frees us to bear fruit now. And you, believer, you will stand acquitted at the last day. The fourth and last confidence, the one we're going to spend a little more time on, is in the passage that we started reading this morning, uh, verses 14 through 17 in chapter 5. Christ, and this is important, believer, Christ has opened the doors of the most holy place wide open. Christ has opened the doors of heaven to you. Do you realize that any moment you want, you can come before God in prayer and He will listen to you. You uh, fathers, have you ever uh, been around and you have a, one of your little kids coming to you and, and dad, 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 and you're like, oh, you know, kind of, I'm busy right now, don't talk to me right now. God never, ever does that to you. God hears our prayers in Christ's death. Remember the scene in the, book, the Gospel of Matthew when he says it is finished, what happens to the curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place in the temple? It was torn in two, signifying that now access to God is given to everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. He, the Lord Jesus Christ, went into the Holy of Holies with His own blood, and with Him He brought us all into the presence of God. So we can pray with confidence that He will hear our prayers. The author of Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly. That word boldly is the same word for confidence that we would be reading in all these passages in 1 John. We can come with confidence to the Son of Grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, if you read the passage, there is one limitation to God's hearing our prayers. Look again at verse 14. Now this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Do you see the limitation there? What is it? According to His will. To pray according to God's will is to pray according to His Word. The Bible is God's revealed will. So we pray according to it. That is, we pray prayers that are consistent with what God teaches us in His Word. We don't pray for what's sinful. We pray for what is righteous. God is not saying that we have to somehow figure out some secret will, something that He's thinking, and if we can figure out exactly what it is that He's thinking, He's going to answer. No, the will of God is the Word of God. That's what He calls us to know, and we pray according to that. We live in light of what He has revealed, not according to what He has not revealed. As a matter of fact, He clearly says that. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, he says, the secret, the secret things belong to our Lord, not to us. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. The, nowhere in the Bible, God asks you to do something that He doesn't reveal it to you in the Word. You don't have to worry about, oh, am I going to hit the bullseye of God's will? Well, are you obeying the Word? You are in His will. I tell you right now, I'm not a prophet. But I can tell you, if that's what you're doing, you're in His will. And you pray according to His Word, and you answer it. God's hearing us, though, 
It's not the same as God doing everything exactly the way we ask. Look at verse 15. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. He says he's going to hear us. And because of that, we know that he's going to answer. We're going to have the petitions. But that does not mean that he's going to give us exactly what we're asking according to the very words that we are using. God is aware of all things. He knows what happens today and tomorrow because there's a point to that. He knows what the consequences of everything because there's a point to that as well. He knows exactly how to answer our prayers so that the most glory will be brought to Him. And if you're not satisfied with that, then there's a problem with you, not with God. Because God does all things to the praise of His glory. So God answers every single prayer that is brought to Him by His people according to His word... In the best way possible. Putting these two things together, God hears and God answers. That is a great source of encouragement and comfort. To know that every answer, every prayer is answered. Even if that answer is the dreaded no. Even if that answer is the dreaded death. Even if that answer is the dreaded end of a relationship. It is a glorious answer according to God's great wisdom for His people. So that's an encouragement and comfort for us because, again, the Holy Spirit through the author of Hebrews says that when we come to Him, we obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Praying, the praying itself is a mercy of the Lord and we find grace in that. So as believers in Christ, we have confidence that we can bring everything before the throne of God, knowing that He will hear our prayers. Everything except one thing, He says. Do you notice that? Look at verse 16. If anyone sees his brother sinning as sin, which does not lead to death, he will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. God calls us to pray about everything except this one thing, a sin that leads to death. It's clear that John knew what he was talking about. It's clear that the audience knew what John's talking about. There's not a lot more clear after those two clear things. There are at least two ways to understand what he means by this sin leading to death. One is sin that led to physical death. The person was literally dead as a result of whatever sin they committed. Can you think of examples of that in the Bible? Well, you have Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 where they lied to the Holy Spirit, and boom, they were dead. We have in 1 Corinthians 11, all those people that partook of the Lord's Supper unworthily, that is outside of Christ, and they were sick, and some died. So we have examples of that, if that could be the case. If that, if that is the case, then the person would already be dead, and it would be pointless to pray for them. So John says, don't pray for them, because they are dead. And it's given to men once to live and then judgment. After you die, there's no point in praying because that's it. 
we're done. God is not going to change his mind after we leave this world. The other way to think about it is that sin that leads to eternal is this sin that leads to death is a sin that leads to eternal death. That's something that's theologically called apostasy. It is a renunciation, a denial of the apostolic witness of Christ and his saving power by someone who had professed faith in Christ. So this could be the sin unto death. And you think with me, on one hand, all sin is unto death, and, and John recognizes that here. The wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall die, in Jeremiah chapter 18. On the other hand, there is at least this one sin that is unrepentable. John seems to think that this that his original audience will know exactly what he's talking about. I wish he had put some footnotes. Or for those that weren't there, you know, some addendum so we could realize that. But as we look at the context of 1 John, because John has been combating false teachers who once believed that the apostle taught about Christ and now don't believe that anymore. Remember, these false teachers were from us, but then they left us, John says then this leads us to, 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 to conclude that this sin unto death likely refers to a willful, thought-out, thought cognitively informed, persistent rejection of Christ. It's one who, one who has denied Christ after knowing who He is over and over and over and over and over again, even though He's been presented with the Scriptures and the best arguments for who Christ is. I think that what John is saying here is what the Holy Spirit said through the author of the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, where there the author, the Holy Spirit says, For it is impossible, and use the word impossible, for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come, which these are descriptions of being part of the church, a professing member of the church. It is impossible for those, since they have crucified Christ again to themselves, to repent, to renew them again to repentance, because they've rejected the only one that could drive them to repentance. So I think that's what John is talking about here in 1 John when the sin leads to death. If that is what John means by sin unto death, and I think it is, then what's the message for us? Brothers, sisters, cling to Christ. Hold on tight to Him. That's the means by which you are going to persevere to the end. Don't let Christ go. Don't let Christ go. Be Jacob who wrestled with God till... He blesses you. Don't, let, don't buy a lie concerning Christ. Hold on to Him. Cling to Christ by faith. I want to finish this morning by uh, pointing out that John is not, the, the emphasis of the passage is not the sin unto death. The emphasis of the passage is actually pray for people in the church. After this amazing statement about our free access to God, John speaks about praying for others. He says, use your access to God to pray for those who are struggling with sin. 
This passage assumes a community of believers, a church, where people are aware of each other's struggles and pray for them. The problem is that we are often too prideful to share our struggles with others. And often too upset when people actually pray for those struggles. That's not what we're called to. We're called to be a church. We're praying for each other's struggles with sin. May the Lord grant us grace to be a humble fellowship of believers who share in each other's struggles with sin as we pray to the only one who can change us. People of God, everyone in this room struggles with sin. They may lie about it, but they struggle with sin. You're not the only one. And as we humble ourselves, as we let people in our lives, and as we pray for one another, we all will grow in the image of Jesus Christ. We have this great access to the Father. Let's take advantage of it and bring each other before Christ. And do that with confidence in your God. You will be received by Christ at at His coming, and you will be acquitted at the final judgment because of all our sins have been forgiven. Confidently come before your Father in heaven because He hears you. May He strengthen you in your faith as you confidently follow Jesus. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Sometimes hard words, but true and powerful words. Help us to submit ourselves to you. We pray, Father, that we would be a church that is um, aware of each other's struggles and humbly pray for one another. Sanctify us in that way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.